Hey everybody, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Jeff Pilsen, and you, my friend, are listening to Iron City Rocks, where it really, really rocks. Hey everybody, this is Veronica, the V Freeman, coming to you, telling you to stay tuned and make sure that you're listening to Iron City Rocks, because I said... Welcome to episode 274 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Sean, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. First up in this episode, we have an interview with Benedictine vocalist Veronica Freeman. Veronica has just released her first solo album, and she was kind enough to talk to us about it. The album is called Now or Never, and here's the first track from that album entitled Again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with me on the phone, I have from the band Benedictum, Veronica Freeman. How are you doing today, Veronica? I am doing extremely well, all the better now that I am speaking to you. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, you got a lot of exciting stuff coming up, and uh, so we wanted to touch base with you and uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you got going on. I know um, you've got your first solo album coming out uh, entitled Now or Never. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you decided to do a solo album? Well, I can never talk a little bit about <laughs> anything. I just figured I'd preface everything with that, but I will do my my utmost to like keep it to the minimum. Oh, we got all, <laughs> you know, we got all the time in the world. So, oh, okay, in that case, because I do have a tendency to go on and on, but that's because it's it's been such the journey with this thing. But it always seems to be that way for me. But to a long story, even longer. 
when I met with the uh, people from Frontiers happened to be in Los Angeles a few years ago and I wanted to meet them. Mm-hmm. And I went out there and they had proposed the idea of doing a solo record. So I had kind of wanted to do something a little bit different, but I just never really knew if that was going to come to fruition or not. Right. So it was pretty cool being asked to do that. That was great. But uh, the caveat at that time was that they wanted to provide the songs and the production and all that, which which could have been cool, but I wanted to have some sort of artistic, um, you know, some, some sort of artistic control right. over what I was going to be doing. So we ended up working it out to where uh, I put put something together and they would have to approve the songs because they were very concerned that it was going to sound too much like Benedictum. Right. They definitely wanted something that was going to be different. Which I think that was accomplished. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But you know, in a, hopefully in a good way, you know. And and I get that because I'm I am hearing a lot of solo projects, and I'm getting this a lot too that sound pretty much the same as the regular band that they're in. And mm-hmm. so to me, I'm like, so what's the point? So I wanted to. They wanted to hear the other side of my voice, and I've had a number of fans over the years ask for that sort of thing. Right. And I wanted to push myself too, and so. That's how that all got started. Um, so was this a couple years in the making or was this something that, you know, after the last, you know, the tour cycle and stuff for the last Benedictum record was done, did you start working on it then or was it something that was just always kind of going on in the back of your mind? No, what the moment that it was proposed and the moment that they had said that, okay, we're going to do another Benedictum record, it was in order to make it the most cost effective, mm-hmm. the original plan, well, actually, the original plan was to release this record before the Benedictum record. Okay. But, but because I, I changed their mind, and I'm glad that I did, because you know how you have a group of fans that they, they I didn't want to, I didn't want Benedictum fans to think, oh, this is going to be the new direction of Benedictum. Right, right. Whereas, get the benedictum record out and they know okay that's benedictum then everyone's the slate is kind of clean for me to do what i need to do without it possibly affecting the reception of the benedictum record right does that make sense oh it makes perfect sense yeah that part was cool and they agreed with that so all of that was great i think what kind of happened after that was the beginning of the the never-ending journey so to speak right so with the and then I'm grateful for the budget, but with the budget we had, it was like, well, let's see if we can kind of do two things. And so had the producer that did Obey also work on the solo album. Okay. It just ended up, instead of making it like a concise type of thing and we're all in the same energy at the same time, because they were so different and because there was not as a concise sense of direction for what the solo record was supposed to be, it ended up being a little bit problematic. And one started to take away from the other. Whenever we would get on a roll with the Benedictum thing, then we still had to go through a couple of different changes for the V thing. And Frontiers wanted to hear each song first to make sure that it was going to be something that was different. And I've never had to do that before. So that was a whole process in in and of itself to pick out what was going to be on it and what wasn't. So we decided, you know what, we can't do it this way. So we put the V thing on the back burner because okay. I didn't want to disenfranchise, you know, anybody else. Right. And and then it kind of went from there. Um, 
then it was actually after Obey came out, then we finished working on that. And there was actually a master that was turned in, but I still had some things. You know how you felt something's not quite right yet? Exactly, yeah. That's kind of where I was with it. So, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. (laughs) So it was just, then I turned it in with, I don't want to say remorse, because that really wasn't it. I I was like, well, it was was really cool. And... uh, but there was that feeling in my gut that now for a solo thing, for something that's just bearing my name, mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to be more over the moon about it. Right, <laughs> right. You know, or, or at least be able to say, yeah, I did the best I could do type of thing. But I felt I could have done that some, some things could have made it better. So it kind of worked out well, although I wasn't happy about it at the time. Uh, the release date got pushed back and it turned out that they hadn't really even gotten into it and listened to it yet because they've got so many things going on right. and I'm not the highest on the totem pole and all of that so um, when they did listen to it they had some of the same concerns about it that I had so a part of me was frustrated because it took so long for them to let me know but the other part of me was like relieved because they're like well we're, we're going to move the release date but I didn't know why. I still don't know exactly why at the time. So I finally asked, "Is it? did you ever really even listen to it? Well, we're going to give it a... They hadn't really had even listened to it yet. So then wow. when they did, it was like, oh, yeah, well, do you think we could do this, that? And I'm like, I'm really glad you said that. Because now I had the opportunity to go back and change some of the things I wanted to change. So it was almost like being given a gift. Right. Right. And therein started the journey of meeting one person after another. And, you know, certain people felt that, no, this is the way that it's supposed to be, and that's fine. But I wasn't trying to be too headstrong. But at the end of the day, the person that's going to take the hit is going to be me. No one's going to say, oh, you're so-and-so over here right. didn't do a job. It's, it's going to fall on me. Right. So... I wanted I wanted certain things a certain way, and I, I kind of had to fight for it. But I'm glad. And working with with John Herrera was really cool as far as the vocals went because we had a cool enough friendship to where you you got to know. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was difficult for me because it was so out of my comfort zone. Right. You know, Benedictine day and night and. You know, get that going on and to not have that, to have to draw from a different place and not having had any kind of like professional training or anything. Right. It was kind of brutal to <laughs> get some of that stuff. Well, now you also worked, uh, Michael Sweet from Striper also produced a couple of the songs, correct? Right. That came after, that. that's all part of the really cool part of the journey. Mm-hmm. After being told, well, yeah, if you can make some of these changes, go for it. You, you've got time. And it wasn't limitless time. Right. I had time, but no budget. So I had already spent what I had getting it to where it was. So ergo the Kickstarter campaign right. and called in some favors. You know, I feel like I'm old school. Mafia. I'm calling in a favor. <laughs> <laughs> My people were there for me, you know, exactly. like, okay, you know, I'll do this for you and we work this out and we'll make it work. And, then one thing led to another, and I was in a moment of desperation at one point. And uh, I don't do uh, Twitter very much because it's it's still a foreign land right. to me. 
And I just happened to catch someone's tweet about, I don't know what it was. It was, it was about something having to do with their wife and, and, and health or whatever. And we just started talking about something else. And then it turned out that he was someone who had a studio over in Boston and his name was Kenny Lewis and it's mixed emotion studios. And he really came to my rescue and said, you know, if you need some help with some stuff, let me know. And I also work with Michael Sweet and I've done some stuff for Striper mm -hmm. and I think you guys are on the same label. Let me play him some of your stuff. I'm going to be seeing him. And I'm like, you're oh, kidding wow. me. So that's how, I mean, this was like totally out of the blue. The next thing you know, I'm on the phone with Michael Sweet. Yeah, you know, I'm wow. willing to do it. And just happened to have a show here. It's like when it does fall into place, it really falls into exactly. place. Exactly. It sounds Two like days later, they were playing in Phoenix. So I had to go get a chance to go backstage and meet him and, you know, kind of look eye to eye and agree to do this. And, and that's how it happened. Flew out to Boston. Didn't know what I was going to be doing until I got there. And he put together the two songs, which I, I really love. Right. And that, it, you know, changed the kind of tone of things overall. Now, Tony, like you mentioned before, like, you know, you wanted this album to be different. And this album is definitely, it's more melodic, you know, kind of the old school hard rock. Um, when you were writing, how much input did you have in, like, the actual writing of the songs? Did you work on the music tour? Did you have help with the music and just concentrate on the lyrics? Or can you, like, the writing process behind all the songs? Right. Okay, for when it came to the Michael Sweet stuff, he already knew what he wanted to do. Right. I was told straight up front, I don't have time to, <laughs> to coddle you at all, basically. <laughs> Show up when I'll be working on this. Trust me, we'll get it done. But I can't give you anything ahead of time. And that's how that went. He did right. lyrics, melody, everything. Orchestrated everything, produced everything. Fantastic. The... Uh, there was a core of songs like Line in the Sand and so was a Starshine and mm -hmm. Spellbound and quite a few others that Pete and I had been, Pete Wells and I had been working on right. for a long time just because, you know, we're, we've always had like other music inside of our heads. Mm -hmm. So I had some lyrics, he had some ideas and we started putting them together. Oh, that's and cool. That was really cool to be able to do that. So I did the lyrics on that. There were other songs like uh, Ready to Run, which was done by Nigel Bailey. It was written mm -hmm. by him. And, you know, I tweaked a few lyrics here and there. And then Below Zero. So I, I had my first chance of really working with, like, interpreting other people's music, so to speak. Cool. So yeah. that was, it was a good thing for me, too, to kind of stretch myself and fit myself to someone else's mold because I'm usually used to writing my own lyrics and, and, and melody lines and stuff. So right. it was about half and half. Cool. So it gives, then that guess gives you a chance to grow as an artist as well, kind of experimenting so, with new stuff and whatnot. Um, you worked with a lot of cool people. You had Tony Martin uh, singing on this. You had Leather Leone singing on this. Um, and I, I believe you worked with Tony Martin before on some Benedictum stuff, right? Right. On Obey... That's how that whole thing came about. So on a, when I first reached out to him, the song that ended up on this record mm -hmm. was a song that I was kind of hoping would fit for the Benedictum record when kind of like flip-flop it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I thought Cry might be more for a solo type of thing. Um, but when I first was in touch with Tony, Tony's kind of person is like, okay... I'll work with you, but I got to first hear what you've got. Right. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I sent out about three different songs. He picked Cry. He was very 
instrumental and uh, literally and figuratively kind of orchestrating some things a little bit very helpful and then he had played me during our correspondences he sent me over this track king for a day and i fell in love with that and it was not a duet it was just him singing it and the idea came up you know we could kind of do this as a duet and i was really pushing to have that song on uh on the solo album okay not the solo album i'm sorry on 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 day yeah and the record company didn't want to do that. So I kind of flew it under the radar. It ended up being one of the ones that they thought sounded the best anyway. So it worked out well that I was able to, when I went to Boston to do the stuff with Michael Sweet is when we also recorded the, the music tracks. And then I did my vocal tracks okay. to make that a duet. Now you mentioned, you know, Pete Wells was helping you out with a lot of the songs and like the rest of the Benedictine guys also appear on the album. So they supported this whole process the whole way through? Absolutely. I, I, it became, at the time, because we were going to try to do both things together, no one knew it was going to take this long. Right. But seeing that one was detracting from the other, that caused a little bit of tension, and that's why it was it was a no-brainer to, to not do it that way. Right. So, you know, we concentrated on the Benedictine stuff, and everybody had their part in it, Um Rickard did the original, you know, production drum tracking mm-hmm. and everything, and uh, Eric's on the on the album, and um, you know, Pete plays guitar throughout. I mean, on most of the, you know, quite a few of the songs on right. there. And so everybody was involved, and then as things developed with the record, other people came in, and mm-hmm. that's where it got real interesting and and very exciting. It, it was right. very cool down to the wire you know oh, it's uh, everything's always down to the wire it seems yeah. you know, it's you know yeah. it's, nothing ever gets finished you just run out of time sometimes trapeze artists you know, <laughs> those little tightrope people who walk us like damn enough <laughs> with the wire <laughs> we're tired just let me get the record done damn it i'm so glad it, i have no idea because it's been almost it's been two years wow and you know i i remember thinking okay I thought I'd be talking to you about this record, you know, a year ago. Right. So it is what it is. I'm I'm really glad it's a totally different animal than it would have been. But my goodness, towards the end there, it's like, okay, well, now you got this uh, deadline and then you've got that deadline. Oh, but this isn't working out because since we did the drums differently on this track, then now this isn't lining up. So we need to get this. It was just crazy. So my hats off to Jimmy Durkin and to Mick Tucker for really having to put on the afterburners to get a lot of stuff done in the last minute. And then mm-hmm. Peter Tendo was an excellent guitar player and vocalist, helped me with a lot of, you know, ideas for vocal lines and things right. like that. Kenny Lewis just worked his ass off for next to nothing for me. I uh, did probably more work than anybody on this record. And uh, I, I really owe him a lot. John Herrera for pulling me out of my... Right. Shell. Out of your out of, out of your comfort zone and yeah, yeah. You know, it was like you know those prison shows <laughs> where they do an extraction. Yeah. <laughs> they had to put on their you know. It was like we're doing it. We're coming in. Like oh. Yeah, now, that was... 
you mentioned a Kickstarter campaign, and I want to talk a little bit about your experience with that because it seems like more and more bands, more and more artists are kind of maybe taking more control over their albums by using like you know the crowdfunding and the social media aspects or whatnot. What was your experience with the Kickstarter? Was it something that you think is like a viable thing for for you know bands to actually you know to use to get their albums and stuff out? Absolutely. It is a tool. It, it, I'll speak for my own situation. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll speak for a couple of people's situation. In my situation, I'm very, very blessed, at least at this point, till they get sick of me and give me the boot, to be <laughs> on Frontiers. And, and I did not realize how few people get any sort of advance at, at all, whether how, how large or meager that may be. Right. And, it, you know, I don't have a home studio and blah, blah, blah. And you got to pay people to do stuff and all of that. But when it got to a point where, you know, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. My phone is going nuts. Okay. When it got to a point where I, I had I had to make certain changes and it had to happen a certain way and it wasn't going to be free, I realized that this, is, this was the shot that I had to do this. Mm-hmm. I was three quarters of the way there. I wasn't, I was a little more than halfway, but I wasn't even like, oh, I was just at the finish line. I, only about three quarters of the way there. And I was getting into debt. I'd borrow money from my brother and blah, blah, blah right. to, to get the rest of the stuff done. So a Kickstarter campaign, and I wanted to make it as unique as possible. I think I definitely uh, had a unique one. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> There's definitely some cool, uh, you know, rewards, I guess, on there. From draws to everything else. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a good one. But, uh, yes, it. quite frankly, Scarlet, that's basically... <laughs> is the if you don't have it there's not a whole lot of other way of go what what a better way to go about getting it right. than to tap into people who are going to support you anyway they might as well support you directly mm-hmm. and through that you can gain new fans and stuff too there's there's other platforms i chose kickstarter there's also pledge music and stuff like that yeah. i know the band of sound of thunder has been very successful with theirs i wouldn't want to have to do it all the time right but i've been i was very happy to in every single penny i mean trust i hope people understand it's not like oh look i got all this money i'm still in debt but at least people can get like a piece of it like i'm getting ready right. to have the t-shirts done because you have to use that money to pay for the rewards you're going to give them and and plus use it to to get the stuff done so i was able to to afford to at least finish out what i had started mm-hmm. in and, and get it done but i think it's a great platform and you'll see uh honestly you're going to see some other stuff right now it's probably still a really good time to do it yeah a few what it, a couple of years ago was a even a better time but trust me there's a companies trying to get involved in that too to get even their piece of that wow so you know partnering and all that kind of stuff which kind of takes some of the (laughs) takes that whole that's the whole bond is because this is between you and your people right that's how i look at it and and that is your you know they're supporting you and, and and you're giving something back i i i don't um it wouldn't surprise me if i if that starts to actually change down the road here in a few years as well oh, i'm so, sure it'll probably fun. probably will it's you know it's nothing can stay pure for so long you know what i'm saying i do 
Um, but uh, you know, it's, you had a successful Kickstarter. The album's finished. It's due to be released on July 10th. And you know, from what I've heard, I, I've got listened to it a few times. It's it's you know very old school melodic metal. It's a great album. Um, is it something that you know you would want to go through again? Yes, in a heartbeat. Right. But the caveat being learning from the things that there were some things that happened that were out of my control that no matter how, you know, I, I keep, I've been torturing myself. Well, if I had it to do over again, I would have made the same decisions again and again and again. And there are other things where I can see that, uh, was more of a knee jerk reaction or, uh, it just, right. it's kind of like, and I'm looking at how many of these things, if that happens to me all the time, well, what's the common denominator? The common denominator is me. Am I not dealing with certain things in an effective manner? So it has really taught me a lot. Would I like to do another album like this? Absolutely. I'd get started on it tomorrow. Right. But it would have to be the way I want it to be. Exactly. <laughs> you know, where we have in place, these are the musicians. We start writing, you know, from stem to stern, instead of taking all these different zigzagging all over the place to get it done so and i'm working on just that right now i've got a couple of things in the works that you know how sometimes it seems a little too good to be true so i'm not even going to say anything right, yet right. until i have that nailed down cool cool so is there any plans to tour on this album or is yes. it cool yeah. yeah i'm getting ready to i'm looking at some of my options for okay. putting it to me i would just like have no problem with saying, okay, uh, Benedictum, let's just do this stuff too. You right. know, that would be great. But everybody's kind of, it's been a while. People want to play, do their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Rickard's doing his thing with Jag Panzer, which I couldn't be happier for him. And it's taking Eric is, is uh, standing in for their bass player for some shows. And anybody deserves to be out there doing that. Eric has been such a, a rock for me over right. the time, you know, that's more power to you. You know, everybody's life changes and stuff. So I'm open to reworking and retooling some things to make it work, just to make it work and see what right. happens. I just want to have fun. Again, exactly. I want it to be fun. Oh yeah. It's, it's gotta be fun or it's, it's not really worth doing anymore. No. Um, <laughs> and he... Let me tell you, no. Shed far too many tears, putting my hand through, not through the wall, which right. I wish it would have gone through, it probably wouldn't hurt as bad, but, you know, and thrown quite a few things, and yeah, yeah, right. very frustrating. So, um, so albums are you going to tour on it, and then is there, is Benedictum going to pick right back up again, a new album in the works there at all in the future? There is not right now. Okay. I like there to be, and again, my... The way that I look at it, I don't think that it needs to be two separate things. Right. I think that is probably going to be reworked, too. I don't know that I'll have the same members. I think it'll be a reformation, if you will. Okay. And it'll just kind of I, I want to see what kind of animal will, will come out of this whole thing, because I love Benedictum. I started that, you know, with Pete back in the day. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let that go. I love that music, and I'm not done singing it. Right. I don't have a problem with going out and doing a show where we're doing all of it, you right. know, right. and some cover tunes, you know, and make it a whole show. It's kind of what my vision is, and I'm hoping, you know, Pete's cool with that. I would hate to not work with Pete because he's right. so much fun, and so I'm hoping to make something like that happen where we have maybe a 
a core in the in the in Europe and then a core like rhythm section in North America and to make it more fiscally uh, possible and just see how that would work out and you know that's easier for two people to get around than it is to have for the logistics of taking a whole band especially since I love being in Europe and stuff like that so that's part of what is going to be happening on my next trip which is to the UK cool Cool. <sighs> God, I really, I'm busy. Yeah, you got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm shooting the music video on the 22nd. Okay, cool. What song would that be for? Again. I'm sorry? For Again, the, okay. the opening track. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. so that's what the, the label kind of wanted. I, I asked them if they wanted a music video for. I'm going to probably do more than one. Right. But I have to do what I can afford to do, and it, I think this is going to be, if nothing else, it will definitely be interesting because <laughs> I'm at James Balsamo, who does all these <laughs> cleavage-ridden vampire movies. That's his thing. Vampire movies with lots of boobs everywhere. <laughs> so... I mean, what the hell? I can't take this stuff too seriously. Why not have some fun with it? He's got some interesting ideas, cool. I'm sure. And he and I are going to kind of put our heads together about that this week. And then I fly out there and I'm scared to death. You know, <laughs> I, I have no idea what he's got planned, but it should be fun nonetheless. Oh, cool. And cool. So it should be fun. Cool. Well, um, you know, like I said, the album's great. comes out uh, July, July 10th, I believe. Um, yeah, July 3rd in Europe and then July 10th here in the States. And uh, so. looking forward to it. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we get to see you in Pittsburgh sometime. I know, uh, you know, you guys didn't come through with Benedictum last time. So hopefully we'll get you here in Pittsburgh sometime soon. I actually do believe that I will be doing something very close to that by before the end of the year. I'd say sometime probably in October. I'm thinking of doing something actually uh a show in the New York area, okay. make a show in Massachusetts, and then a show in Pennsylvania. So, and Whoa. then be one more in the Midwest, like uh, Ohio or something like that. So, cool. we're working on that. Cool, we'll Just definitely pieces together. Cool, we'll definitely keep our eye out for you. So, thank you, sweetie. I really appreciate it, and thanks to your listeners and everything. It's all good. Cool, thank you. Okay, thanks to Veronica for taking the time to talk to us. The album's called Now or Never, and it's out now. Up next on the program, John had a chance to talk to Australian blues guitarist Hamish Anderson. Hamish has some shows coming up in the U.S., and he talks to us about how he got his start. Before we get to that interview, here's a track from his 2014 self-titled EP entitled How. Fall of night 
gentlemen, great pleasure. Welcome to the show, direct from Australia. We have Hamish Anderson. How you doing, Hamish? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you? Doing very well. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's always great to see a young, uh, you know, artist with roots in the blues, uh, but with an ear for contemporary rock music. So it was a, a great to get a chance to talk to you. Um, you, your name kind of came onto the radar, uh, as I recall, in the United States kind of last year. I remember uh, specifically you, you working with B.B. King uh, touring. Can you just talk a little bit about how that experience kind of brought you to where you're at now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, pretty much last year I came across from Australia over to America and did some showcases in L.A. And that led uh, to me signing with a booking agency over here called the Agency Group and one of the first kind of tours they pitched me for was the BB King tour and yeah it was really amazing being you know someone who plays guitar and comes from Australia like BB King had always been such a huge influence on me and my music that kind of being able to open for him seemed like you know something I dreamt about but wouldn't really ever happen I was lucky enough to play two shows with him and yeah, it was just a really crazy experience. Now, did you get, you know, obviously, unfortunately, you know, I know that the tour was kind of cut short with with his health issues. Did you get a chance to interact much with him at all? No, he was kept, at that time as well, he was kept pretty separate. Like, you didn't mm-hmm. really see him until pretty much the time he was going on stage. But, right. I mean, I got to talk to quite a lot of his band members and got to watch his sets inside stage. And it was just really things like that that were... Really yeah. big things that I take away from it. Yeah, that certainly will make an impression. Now, um, you you're a relatively young man, um, mid twenties or so. What what kind of got you into that sort of music? You know, you think of the blues, and, and I think a lot of people think of uh, maybe an older audience. What kind of drew you into that? Yeah, I think it was just very much uh, when I was twelve and started playing guitar. It was really like my dad's vinyl collection that got me interested in music and. That was kind of hearing bands like the Stones and the mm-hmm. Beatles, Zeppelin and Clapton and stuff, and I just got really interested in kind of reading interviews with them and seeing, you know, in all those interviews, Eric Clapton and Keith Richards talk about the music that inspired them, which was the blues, and mention artists like BB King and Buddy Guy and Freddie right. King, and from reading that stuff, it just kind of made me want to learn about the blues, and then I just really became obsessed with all types of blues music. Now, were you more of a, you know, I, I think of, of, of blues guitarists as kind of two schools. One is, as you mentioned, several, you know, the kind of Chicago-American type blues artists. And then you think of, of you know, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, some of the European. Did you, you know, coming from Australia where you're completely, you know, kind of independent of two of those, were you drawn towards one of those two camps more as a fan? Um, no, I think really for me, I I really liked all types of it and I mean Clapton for me is still kind of someone that you know really day to day really influences me a lot and mm-hmm. yeah it's really kind of all that stuff that both the Chicago stuff and even the old kind of Alan Lomax stuff and, and the British Invasion stuff as well so for me I just kind of love old blues yeah yeah I think you said it though I mean Clapton is God there you know that is yeah <laughs> that is exactly. kind of because now how have, how have you felt audiences react to to a young a younger 
blues player do you find your audiences when you're doing you know a showcase or you know you're going to be doing some dates in california and things like that do you find a younger audience because of your age or do you find an older audience or, or a bit of a blend yeah i think it's a bit of a blend to be honest i think that was like uh the really kind of interesting thing for me about doing the bb king tour was playing in front of it was you know some of the kind of biggest crowds i'd done and playing in front of people that are really just no-nonsense kind of blues lovers mm. that you really have to kind of go out and give it all but they were really responsive and through that I think it's been <clears throat> people you know kind of seen people at shows and it really is kind of spread I think from people my age or younger to you know relatively older so, which is nice yeah I mean w- would you consider a BB King audience a tough audience to, to kind of get over with yeah I think so I think so, and I think rightfully so, because, you know, he's such a legend, there's been, you know, such a kind of list of amazing stuff he did, but they were all, you know, it was really nice, they were all really responsive, and really, yeah, responsive to guitar solos mm-hmm. and the songs, and yeah, it was just really cool, like George Benson was that one oh, show wow. in the audience, yeah. so yeah, it's kind of a funny, you never really know who's kind of in the audience, which yeah. is cool. Now kind of going full circle you know I, I i noticed on your website you did a show with kenny wayne shepherd um gary clark jr has mentioned you publicly how how do how much does that help having a younger generation of these kind of guys like a gary clark jr who has really kind of blown the doors off of that genre with popularity hmm. does yeah, that very much but I, I think it really helps and i think gary in particular like you said has really and they come to the forefront as someone that is really doing something really interesting with the blues and is very steeped in tradition and knows the history but is kind of bringing it right into you know the current times mm-hmm. and it's a really great I think people like Gary and even people like the Black Keys and stuff yeah. it's just a really great reflection of the blues and that kind of coming to a more I don't know if mainstream is the right word but kind of a more mainstream audience yeah i think of uh, like kenny wayne shepherd and johnny lang even were kind of carrying the flag in the 90s uh you know with the passing of stevie ray vaughn and in my generation stevie ray vaughn kind of opened my eyes to uh, freddie king albert king uh some of those kind of guys and it's one thing i love about the blues is everybody kind of starts with whomever it is they discover and go backward um you know, yeah, and you know, if a band like the Black Keys turns you know a young kid on to that kind of music, um, you know, all the better. You know, and yeah, exactly. You know, right. if that gets a kid to pick up a John Mayall record uh, at some point, you know, in a, in a pawn shop or something, then then that's a wonderful thing. As a yeah, as, as a player, were were you drawn towards particular players, or was Clapton still kind of? the guy you you kind of emulated your playing style against more so than your songwriting mm, yeah classroom was definitely one and then yeah bb king as well i think it was those players that really had the vocal quality mm-hmm. when, kind of when they played guitar and i mean even i find myself going to a like albert king for me is a really big one yeah i go to a lot and peter green from fleetwood mac is another one that i mm-hmm. just kind of levitate towards so yeah there's always those guys that i kind of keep going back to it and like the well you keep going back to and you can always get something from now um did you set out to be a singer or or it seems like a lot of guys who play guitar end up being the singer because they can't find the guy the voice they want was that what kind (laughs) of drew you to the vocal yeah no that was exactly 
kind of that type of thing. It was around the time when I started wanting to get out there and play more live and stuff. There were just no other guys I knew who wanted to step up and sing. So I just, I sort of just thought I'd do it. And but then since then it really has. I really have was really glad I did that, and I think it it helped kind of having been a guitarist for quite a few years before singing because that really I think playing an instrument really does help with everything when you start singing and yeah I think for me it's just it really just is a way to get my songs out and I don't really I don't know if I'd feel comfortable with someone else singing my songs so I just kind of stepped into that role and now kind of just working at it and everything. Yeah, if you look at historically the number of feuds between singers and guitar players, you probably did yourself a favor. You know, you've, you've taken one of those two away <laughs> out of the mix, and you can just fight amongst yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know, but that's great. You know, you don't have to turn your amp up to drown out the singer or scream to drown out the guitarist. <laughs> you're, you're set either way. Yeah. So you're doing some shows in in the United States in the month of July. Is is the plan <laughs> for the rest of 2015 is still kind of making inroads into the American market, or what? What uh, what does the future hold for you? Yeah, I think a bit of both, really. I think after those dates, um, I've been doing quite a few shows, so I think I'm going to kind of switch gears to more studio okay. stuff after that, and just kind of slowly starting work at the kind of first, what I hope will be first kind of full-length album, so I think that will take priority for quite a bit, but then still I think around kind of LA and the West Coast, I'll mm -hmm. be playing, and then maybe later in the year, heading back to Australia for some shows as well. Now, as as a you know, a student of the blues and the kind of tradition, do you embrace the modern aspects of recording, or do you you prefer to try to keep it as old school as you can anymore? Yeah, I think definitely, kind of definitely the old school factor. I think, and to me, I think now that I've done had a little bit of experience in the studio, I think I've learned what I kind of respond to and what I like, and mm -hmm. definitely like the Restless EP was kind of that very much was we really did that like it was a live show kind of just right. full takes all playing together and the vocals being in that take and stuff and I just think it's yeah there's so much <clears throat> stuff you can do nowadays in the studio it kind of overwhelms me that I think I kind of respond best at just really going in and playing and the new stuff mm -hmm. I've been doing I finally got to actually do stuff on tape so I mean definitely the old school and analog stuff for me is more sort of appealing and I think works better for this kind of music. Yeah, I wondered, you know, about that when you think of, you know, a band, you know, or an album like Texas Flood, you know, where they kind of go in and, and you know, maybe you overlay the guitar solo, maybe it's all one take, uh, you know. Yeah. If, if they had the technology at their disposal when they made those albums, you know, one would wonder if that might have ruined it. Um, so I'm always kind yeah, of curious exactly. how, uh, you know, a, a, a an artist such as yourself who's grown up with technology, I mean, you know, Pro Tools has been around as long as almost you have been around uh, yeah. to see how, you know, artists embrace technology. Do, do you find yourself noodling, you know, riffs into your iPhone or, you know, cutting it? Yeah, definitely that stuff, I think. Yeah, it really helps. Yeah. I mean, definitely the voice memory thing is like a capacity always on my mm -hmm. phone, and, which is good. But yeah, I think that's just, it's it's become so weird just how everything kind of sounds the same and just, just put to a grid and you know all auto tunes and all those things and stuff that I think for me I sort of I like and the blues is a perfect example of it all the kind of imperfections mm -hmm. in you know vocal qualities and the recordings are really what m had that human element and made it stand out yeah so for me I think that's what's
Yeah, yeah. You listen to uh, you know Robert Johnson and Albert King. You won't say you know these guys are you know well accomplished in a traditional sense singers, but sometimes yeah. especially in the blues that edge and pain in their voice sometimes is really what makes it so appealing. So you know I applaud. Yeah, I applaud exactly. that. Well, Hamish, I wish you the best of success. Hopefully, we'll see an East Coast tour out of you uh, before long, and we can get you into Pittsburgh uh, and catch a show. But we thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I'd like to thank Hamish again for taking the time to talk to us. He has some shows coming up on the West Coast. So if you're out that way, be sure to check him out. That about wraps up this episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to drop us a line at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. You also like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. Check out our Instagram at instagram.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And also check out our main website, ironcityrocks.com. Till next time, thanks for listening.